My name is Aaron McManus, and you were listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. Okay, so we're back from Mexico City. We oh, just got love in. Mexico City. I love Mexico City. Viva la Mexico. But a couple of things happened. You got in a street fight, apparently. Well, you know. You have some stitches. Canelo pushed me. Canelo pushed you. Canelo Alvarez, the And I boxer. made the mistake of taking a swing. I missed. Bam. Next thing I know, I've got stitches over my left eye. We are merging <laughs> realities right now. It's a much better story. So we went to Mexico City. You got some stitches. You hit your head on something. That's true. You're kind of, you look really cool, though. Well, my face has a lot of stories to tell. <laughs> it does. It does. Mexico hasn't been good to you, apparently, because you keep getting your face cut I up. realized uh, I, 2020 stitches in my face from Mexico and 2021 stitches in my face from Mexico. So looking I, forward to 2022. <laughs> I'm giving, you are now mandated to wear a helmet when you're in Mexico City. I don't know if the helmet would work because it won't protect my face. No, you got, I'm going to put a little bubble, over, a little visor over the front. Yeah. Some things have happened. There have been a few things that have happened along the way. Well, Canelo Alvarez is a big boxer and he got in a fight at the press conference. Is that with Platt? Plant. Plant. Plant? Plant. Never I heard don't of him. I, I don't know the, the fighter. It seems like the fight's over, though. He hit him one time in the face. Plant well, hit Canelo. He tried, Can no, he didn't hit him. He tried, no, he tried to tried hit him. It. He swung at Canelo. Canelo is so fast. so fast. I mean, unbelievable. It, no warning. The guy swings with his left hook and Canelo avoids it, uh, evades it, and then hits him twice, left and right. Ba, ba. And, and he doesn't, it doesn't even look like he closed his fist. No. He had his, bah, bah. and he damaged bah, bah, uh, his face pretty bad. And it's crazy. All right. My, my, my wife, who does not really watch boxing or anything like that. She does not. But she loves the drama. And she, I'm, I'm in bed. I'm not even up yet. And she goes off. I mean, she is, uh, she is wired that this is fixed. Yes. Because I, I showed it to her last night. And she thought, I guess she thought about it all night long. Right. And she said, I'm telling you it wasn't real. I'm telling you it was fixed. I'm telling you it was a setup. I, and I showed her the photographs with the cut eye and the bruised face. And she yeah. goes, he took one for the team. He just did it so they could make millions of dollars. And, wow. and I'm going, okay, honey, one, calm down. <laughs> I don't think, no, I don't. I think everything was, I mean, press conferences are very interesting. I think yeah. one, one, I think a few things. Boxing has to step it up because these stupid dummy YouTubers are ruining the sport. But they're not ruining it. They're changing it. Well, it's not. They're not even in the sport. They're creating a new sport that is really just entertainment fighting. Not, Dummy duels. Not really boxing. Not really uh, goofy mixed fights. martial arts. This is, this is more. Uh, I mean, I was in a room with Floyd Mayweather before the fight. No, but name. What is this new sport? Um, name it. Give it a name. Um, celebrity dancing. <laughs> Celebrity dancing. <laughs> because Mayweather said, look, if I'm going to get paid a lot of money to entertain people and dance around with a YouTuber, I'm going to take it. Okay. And he never for one second described it as a fight. He did not consider it a fight. He considered it um, in an entertainment event that people could enjoy. And that is, that's what's wild about this new era of, I don't know, Boxing Plus? Mm -hmm. Or minus, I guess. I'm going to call it boxing minus. Boxing, boxing. No, but that's not a good, it's not, as, it's not as catchy. Okay. The sad thing is they're making more money than boxers. Yes, and that's why you maybe you did have this Canelo plant kind of um, skirmish. Skirmish because they're having, to, the muck. they're having to bring in what YouTubers are bringing into the genre. The drama. Just to match it. Or you're not going to get paid as much for actually being great at the sport than the person who's really great at creating um, buzz. Okay. But with that. Which, by the way, Muhammad Ali was great at both. He was, actually. Yeah. And he, that's what made... It's not what made him great. His physicality, his talent made him great. But his ability to build attention, to, to draw a crowd, yeah. to be magnetic. and Create controversy. Yes. Yeah. I love Canelo, though. I'm a big Canelo Alvarez fan. Me too. I, I do love him. I'm, um, I'm surprised that the altercation happened. He seemed like overall he's a very controlled person until he's in the ring, and yeah. he's still controlled. If there. You you can listen to one of the Instagrams, uh, one of the Instagram highlights, and it's uncensored. And that guy was calling him some things. 
Mm. And then Canelo pushed him and then the guy swung. But I asked you this last night. Mm -hmm. I said, is the fight all, I said, I said this, I said, did you see Plant's face? And you were like, no, what happened? And there was a cut under right. his eye. Like he made him bleed. And he's pretty bruised. Pretty yeah. bruised. And I was like, is the fight already over? Well, one, he, they can't fight till that face is healed. And this is what I mean. Yeah, but they're not fighting till November. So he's got time to heal his face. But what I mean is this, mentally, has Canelo already won and beaten Plant because he landed a punch? You get cut as a fighter, something switches mentally. Okay, this guy can cut me now. I think it's over because when he swung without giving him a warning, Canelo was able to elude the punch and then hit him twice before he could even respond. Psychologically, That's hard the to fight come back. is over. The yeah. fight is over. We're not a betting podcast, but if I did bet, I would bet on Canelo. <laughs> <laughs> I would bet on Canelo. Huge size difference. Canelo's much smaller. His is he has but like a, so much shorter. Yes, a four inch shorter wingspan. But I want to I want to talk about mentalities because we were in we were in Mexico City and and we were talking about how much better my sister is at learning languages. <laughs> she just has a natural ability to sing in Spanish to learn words in Spanish, to memorize in Spanish. And I've always struggled with languages. Well, you didn't struggle with English. You did a really great job with English. But English is all I got. <laughs> Mariah can sing. She can memorize in an ability. Mariah can memorize like Jay-Z. Mm -hmm. Like Jay-Z does this whole thing about how like he doesn't write any raps down. It's all from his head. Right. Like Mariah legitimately, when she learns a song one time, mm -hmm. it's, it's in her brain forever. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a story. I don't know if you remember this. Wait, you wait I have to preface though. I have to preface though. Okay. So we were, we were sitting and we were talking and I, and I think I was feeling a little insecure because right. Mariah was picking things up so much faster than I ever have been able to. Mm -hmm. And I said, is there something, what is it about Mariah and about me that she can learn languages so much faster than I can? And you said? And I said, well, I think that one of the reasons is that you're the firstborn and so I was teaching you and she's the second born and she was listening. And the huge key to learning a language is listening. And so that's one part of it. And the second thing is um, not being paralyzed by embarrassment. And, and I said, I think that this is a part of the dynamic with you two in language learning is that uh, one, because she was eavesdropping all the time <laughs> uh, as the young sister, she was listening a lot and she picked up language really quickly. But also, Mariah has never, Mariah's always had an, an incredibly high sense of self. Like she never based her identity or sense of worth on what other people said about her. So she's not embarrassed. So, um, and then you felt so much pressure being my son to be perfect for everyone because that's what people expected of you. Yeah. And so you felt more embarrassed to try. You were embarrassed to fail. You were embarrassed to, to um, not do it right. And in language learning, and one of the things I had to learn is reclaiming my Spanish um, was a challenge at first because I was super embarrassed. Right. Because, uh, I mean, even my grandfather, when I was a little boy, would say, you know, shame on you, you've lost your language. You know, yeah. how dare you? And so I felt that shame. Yeah. And so when I would have an American speaking Spanish better than me, I, I was just embarrassed whenever that would happen. And I had to finally move to a place where I was shameless. <laughs> and I said, I don't care. I'm just going to use my Spanish however it comes out. And I think when I spoke last week, I said, hey, don't worry if there are words I do not know. I feel perfectly free to invent new words. <laughs> and, uh, and my Spanish has become so much more fluid and I've gotten a lot of it back and it's become more natural. And I think in Spanish and I even dream in Spanish. And, um, and some of it was giving up the embarrassment. So I think those are the two dynamics. Giving up the embarrassment. Yeah. And that's the title of this podcast. Yeah. That's it. Thumbs up from the booth. I think that's it. Yeah. And I, and I think that, that psychologically, you and Mariah were in different spaces. And you felt a lot of pressure constantly from other people to live up to their expectations. And so you became more cautious in the way that you risked um, things like languages. But th this trip, because I, I feel a bit more comfortable. I yeah. have a lot of friends there. And they say your accent's perfect. It's crazy, though. I said, my yeah. accent's perfect. My vocabulary is imperfect. <laughs> It, you're, it's just beginning. It's developing. It's developing, and I'm yeah. and and you know I'm more motivated to learn. And everyone was talking about that. Like you're mm -hmm. you're so much more confident mm -hmm. in your willingness to just make mistakes. Yeah, 
That's right. And so, but one one thing that I've really learned is that, you know, I have two really good guy friends that are from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Obviously Emerson, but Emerson's from Bolivia, San Diego, LA. Yeah. Now he's in Mexico. But younger guys who are from Mexico City, Alan and Roy, and they they said, they're like, we've never seen you so willing to try just continually mess up language. And it's also fun to be there with Mariah and Carlos. And Carlos is Puerto Rican. He speaks Spanish or some kind of version of Spanish from Puerto Rico. I'm not sure exactly what that is. But you you have this, it helps you. Once you have this confidence to be able to try things, you're able to make mistakes and not really worry about your mistakes. Mm-hmm. And do you feel that confidence is integral to learning? Confidence? Yes. Absolutely. Being willing to be unashamed. Because you have this amazing talk on being naked and unashamed. Yeah. That now, like, you might have heard a different version of it from a different other pastors that have tried to speak the sure. same talk. But people out there, I'm talking to the podcast. You had it, you talked about how, like, King David in the Bible yeah. danced naked and unashamed in the streets. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a huge part of it. I think that when you're self conscious, you're not your highest self. And when, um, when you're just in the moment and enjoying it and not worried about what other people think and whether you mess up, actually, your, your potential elevates your capacity elevates it's really so much better it's so much better i want to tag the message uh naked and unashamed in the in the bio so if you're listening to this podcast and you've never gone to church or you want to check out my dad's message you need to (laughs) because it actually is something that really it's it's kind of it's like transcended the message that you've given Mm -hmm. because now me and tess and all our friends there's a line you say like who told you you were naked (laughs) and we have it and we use it and we're like it it's almost become like a cultural thing in our friend group of like like who told who woke you up to be embarrassed yeah because there's something so biblical or something so historical or something so like human nature Mm -hmm. about this idea like when we're unashamed we have more confidence the moment we become aware of ourselves we become really insecure yep yeah it's almost like who told you to think about yourself in a negative way yeah you know and can you expand on that a little bit yeah i think there's moments where i wake up and i'm like oh shoot like I, I see all the imperfections. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, for me, from the scriptures, it just always struck me as odd. You have this epic cosmic tragedy where Adam and Eve sin against God. They eat of the fruit of the tree. The whole universe, the Bible says, goes into chaos. And, and then God comes walking through the garden and his question to them isn't, why did you mess everything up? Or what were you thinking? Or was I not clear, don't eat from this tree? Yeah. His first question to them is, you know, well, we're after, you know, where are you is who told you that you were naked? And I thought, what an odd question from God. And I realized that this was the first time in the biblical story that a human being allowed their identity to be shaped by another voice. And because God never told them that they were naked and that there was no reason for them to be ashamed. And, and I think a lot of us have a, a negative internal narrative where we're naked and ashamed. We're hiding from God. We're hiding from others. We're hiding from ourselves. And so we can never actually become our true full self because we're always living in shame. I, I, I resonate with that. I mean, I resonate with that message in a funny way, mm-hmm. but also in a serious way. I think, it, in, it, I think it's something I've always really wrestled with. Like this, this you know, I haven't lived a perfect life. I've made lots of mistakes. I, I, I have passed. I, I, Mariah was the better child. You know, and, and when I asked you like this, you know, this language question of like, why is it that Mariah learns faster than me? There was a little bit of shame kind of wrapped. That question was wrapped up in some shame mm-hmm. or some shame was wrapped up in that question. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the bacon was on the hot dog or the hot dog <laughs> was on the bacon, but there was stuff. It was a loaded question. Sure. And I think you could tell. And I think there's so much of my life, I think I've lived in shame and fear of other, because it isn't the shame that you, that you, that you fear. It's, it's how humans handle your mistakes. Yeah, it's being shamed. It's being shamed. Yeah. It's a, it's a projection of guilt and shame that I really have had to struggle with. Yeah. And, I, and, and coming out of COVID, there's always stuff, there's always drama, there's always, you know, whatever. I, I was talking to somebody else. I, I went to breakfast this morning, or I guess this podcast is about Fridays. So I went to breakfast this last week with a friend and... Uh, she runs a really cool jewelry company and she, she, she's from Miami and she's just here. So we're like, grab a cup of coffee and hang out. And she told me, she's like, I think I met a genie yesterday. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? She goes, that so house. And I, I met a, I, this guy asked me like, if you could manifest anything in the world, what would you manifest? 
And then she's like, oh, like we got it. It was like a cool conversation starter. So we talk, mm -hmm. started talking about all this stuff. And then he asked me, what, what would be two more things you would manifest? And then she was like, uh-oh, I'm a genie. <laughs> and then she made this joke. She's like, I'm out here like I'm the witch and you're the pastor's son. <laughs> and she's not really a witch, but she was, she was just making a joke that she, he's the genie, she was the witch. And I was like, I was like, that's very interesting. I was like, she's like, how is it growing up in church? And I or growing up being a pastor's son. I said, it's funny. I was like, it's like being Harry Potter in a world that no one else understands. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, to me, it's so integral. My faith is so integral to my life. And it, it, it's, it's, it's more, I think, organic and mystical. And, you know, I pray and I'm in conversations, I think, with God with, or mm -hmm. my mind, <laughs> but with God. And I believe, and, and I was, but it was hard. But it was like, those are the really beautiful moments where I'm like, I'm trying to explain maybe not even the shame I've felt, but like the understanding and the relationship and the community with other people. But I didn't want to go. And she's like, you're, you're being very surfacey about how it's been hard. And I was like, well, you know, every culture deals with shame differently. And I was like, and I was a part of church and then I kind of really wasn't. And, and I'm having to like navigate how I process shame, you know, mm -hmm. and even process how I learn and confidence. And so I like I do feel like I'm at this crossroads where I'm like, I'm trying to manage my shame in my past, but I'm also trying to become more confident so I can learn and elevate to the next level. And it just doesn't feel like you can carry all of these things in your hands at the same time. Yeah, I think one of the practical realities is no one has any expectations on genies and no one definitely has any expectations on witches. No. But they do have expectations on pastor sons. Yeah. So if you are gonna choose one of the three, so that you can be free of the judgment and expectations of others, you, you wouldn't choose being a pastor's son. <laughs> and so there's an irony in that, right? Yeah. But, um, but I think the core of this particular conversation is um, how to regain confidence in that sense and how, you know, to, because uh, you're talking about learning a language and, and how the, the two row blocks are one, you know, listening and, and the other one is, um, confidence and the dark side of those is is um not listening i don't say talking isn't the, the dark side of not listening but yeah, yeah. you know um not paying attention or not caring not being interested so yeah. i think you listen when you're interested right and and then the other side of it is you know not letting shame or embarrassment hold you back and and i found that to be true in every endeavor in my life um i've never done anything where i was really good at it at first right I just, you just have to keep working at it and working at it and working at it. And you, so you can't be embarrassed by not being good at something if you're ever going to get good at it, if you're ever going to be great at it. You have to be willing to have really negative iterations, you know, and you have to be willing to be a bad communicator until you're a good communicator. You have to be willing to be a bad writer until you're a good writer. You have to be willing to be a bad designer until you're a good designer. You have to be willing, you know, to, uh, to be bad at languages until you're good at languages. And, mm -hmm. and the truth is that, if we could all just jump right to being good at something, we would do everything. <laughs> right. The problem right. is when you dive in, you're bad at it. Yeah. You, you know, and, yeah. and, and you have to be able to enjoy being bad at it. What That's I, really hard. How do you enjoy? Okay, so, so the, learning yeah. prof, the, the, the learning process, the, the process of knowing you're naked and then being cool with it, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like being exposed and then being okay with being exposed. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that is like the journey, the journeying process of like any type of greatness story, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's like, I want to do something. I don't know how to do it. If I try to do it, everyone's going to know I don't know how to do it. But if I don't try to do it, I'll never do it. And if I never do it, I'll never be great at it. So I have to start <laughs> trying to do it so that's that right. someday I can be great at it. Yeah. So I'm naked, super naked. This, yeah. this episode is called Super Naked. <laughs> Super naked insecurity. Yeah, it's, it's like a punk rock song title. If you're ever going to get somewhere, you begin completely naked. <laughs> and so if you're ever going to, you know, if you're going to be dressed to the nines. Yeah. You have to start with zero. <laughs> and so if you want to be there. great, you got to be naked. Yeah. Not yeah. actually naked. Please put, keep your clothes no, on. If you, you know, when, when, you, you, when you begin speaking and you're in front of a, a group of people and you're terrible, yeah. you are naked. You, you can't know how many times I've actually spoken, especially when I was younger, and I would just walk off the back of that stage and not go meet a single person because I was so embarrassed yeah. and so humiliated by my talk. Yeah. And, uh, and I realized that most people don't become great communicators, not because they don't have the skill, but they don't have the capacity 
to deal with the embarrassment. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and it, if you can't figure out how to manage the embarrassment right. and the shame and right. the, uh, the incompetency of the early stages, you won't get to uh, the part where you're great. Okay. So you have to be super naked. Yeah, you just, and that's why it's important to have good friends. You have to have to have people around you who cheer you on when you're not great at it, who just keep applauding you and keep celebrating you. And they, they yeah. you know, they'll help you get better, but they're always like for you. You need people in your corner and, and uh, in the early stages or something. When you're learning a language, uh, you need people who every time you get it right, they just celebrate you. Every time they get it wrong, you get it wrong. They laugh with you, yeah. you know, yeah, and yeah. enjoy you. And you, you just start getting comfortable being around them all the time. Okay. So confidence is key, mm -hmm. but also, but I, I feel like this, cause I, cause we talk about this. I'm like, sometimes I think I'm hyper aware of, of myself. And sometimes I, I lack massive awareness, mm -hmm. right? But in the, I, but I'm almost hyper aware of the wrong things. Mm -hmm. And then I lack awareness in the wrong things. Because I'm like, I need to be more aware of like how I treat people and my kindness and my like introversion, extroversion, my relationship to other people, patience. Mm -hmm. But then I'm too aware of like my ability to do something well or not. And so mm -hmm. I quit too easily. Yeah. You know what it's, I mean? Yeah. And I'm always on the verge of quitting. Yeah. I, I think that um, some of it is being aware of who you become under stress. Okay. Like I'm, I'm extremely extroverted when I'm not under stress. Okay. And when I'm under stress, I'm extremely introverted. Okay. And I, I had to come realize that under time and through a variety of a battery of different kind of assessments to realize, oh, okay, it's not, I always felt I was introverted for a long, long time, only introverted. And that's because I was under so much stress for so many years. Right. And then I realized, oh, okay, no, I'm actually like comfortably extroverted if I'm not under stress. Right. So if I'm going to enter a room of people, if I'm under stress, I'm a bad, bad person to talk to. Right. And, and I think with you, like, when you're not under stress, you're immensely kind and gracious. When you're under stress, you get tougher and a little bit more, you know, jaded and edgy. And so edgy some of, would be a good word. And some of it is realizing, okay, under stress, the dark side of myself comes out. And so I need to, oh, I need to one, learn how to address stress and how to deal with stress. But two, I need to also realize that you got to create some safety valves where under stress, you don't engage people in a significant way because you don't want to engage them with your worst self. You want to always engage people with your best self. And, and one of the things that has helped me is when I, when I have to go to a meeting, when I have to be in a room with people, I actually try to decompress myself. And, you know, a perfect example of this was the, uh, um, the U.S. Open's final with uh, Djokovic. Uh, and uh, where uh, I am Djokovic. What? Djokovic. Yeah. And remember, How do you say his name? Is it Djokovic? Djokovic? Djokovic. And I have um, people who have Novak. I have friends who are making fun of me on how I say okay. Rich. Uh, uh, Novak. And, Novak. And it's funny is I used him as a good example for you in the semifinals. A couple weeks ago. I literally in the semifinals said, Aaron, I want you to see something. Yes. He lost the first set. He was off-centered. I even said he stopped. He sat down. He didn't move a muscle. He just looked off into space. And he completely centered himself. And later he talked about how he had to deal with his anger issues and you know his issues of being more volatile. And he learned how to center himself and then he came back and won. And so I use that because I thought, I know so many people where every passionate person I know who's super intense has that challenge. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, this is a great thing. And then he goes to the finals. Next thing I know, he's destroying his racket. He's lost his temper completely. He's completely uncentered. He's lost that, that place where he actually optimizes his passion rather than is controlled and um, and neutralized by it. And so I thought it's interesting. I actually used him as an example with you for the semifinals and he became the worst version of himself in the finals and lost in straight sets. And, and you could see the difference because yeah. the, the commentators pointed it out. They, um, they, they, they showed him losing the first, I don't know who he lost the finals to. Can you look that up, Tess and Austin, who he lost the US Open final to? But, but the semifinals, he beat Ber Bertolini. Medevovic, or I can't remember, no, I can't remember how to pronounce it. The semifinals, it was, yeah. Bert I think, Bertolini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So an example of this was Jokovic in the, I'm saying his name wrong and I'm sorry. If I ever meet him, I would, I will apologize. Jokovic Berentini. He, Berentini beats him in the first, beat Jokovic in the first set. 
Jukovic goes, sits down, emotionless, completely focused, comes back out. Still. Still peaceful, comes out, rocks him the next four sets. Absolutely insane. And talks about how he learned how to really center himself and how to find that place. And and something happened between winning that match and playing the final because when he played the final, he wasn't centered. He wasn't peaceful. He he lost that thing. He almost became hyper aware of his weaknesses. It became almost too important for him. He said he was going to play it like it was the last match of his life, most important match of his life. And and it, it he made the moment almost too big for himself in that way. And and then he lost his center and he started destroying the racket and became out of control. And and I just thought it was fascinating. Again, he was a perfect example of both narratives. And He's great because he has that fire inside of him. Yeah. And, but even that level of greatness, that level of discipline and mastery demands that he finds that stillness, that calmness, that, and be able to be able to center all of that fire to be productive. And, and I only use this point saying that all of us have like, I guess, like a a shadow self, the, the part of us that, that is the worst expression of ourselves. Right. And that oftentimes comes out of us under severe or extreme stress. And, and a part of self-mastery is to realize that um, your best self happens most easily when the environment's right. But that's not self-mastery. That's self-awareness, self-revelation. You get to see who you are at your best. Self-mastery is about taking that best self that you experience under your best circumstances and they, and be able to express that best self in the worst circumstances and environments. And once your best self is not dependent on the right environment, then you have true self-mastery. Hmm. I'm far too dependent on the right environment. <laughs> Way too dependent on the right environment. I think for me, I mean, I'm better than I used to be. Mm-hmm. Way better. Uh, way, way better. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot, there's a lot of room to grow. Yeah. And and the challenge for I think for people is to not use your environment or your circumstances or others as an excuse or reason and say, well, it's because of this. And so when I'm writing a book, there are all kinds of disruptions and all kinds of things going on. And I have to decide that those things are not an excuse for me as a writer, even as a speaker. You know, and there's noise and there's disruptions. There's things going on in the room and people, I can't use what's going on in the room as an excuse for me not bringing my best talk. I mean, I've watched people, I've, had, I've watched ambulances come in, <laughs> medics come in or someone's having like a heart attack and you didn't know, but it was such a big room, something was happening and you just locked in and you kept going. I mean, you have, I have watched you. I mean, there were guys with like a, I think there was a guy like with a knife one time. Mm-hmm. in the back and i was in the back with like six other guys we're like we're about to get we're all about to die and you were charging that message you didn't there's nothing when you I were in, hyper focus when you're in the zone nothing yeah. can bother you yeah so how do you find that place of extreme focus uh well you can't develop i do think it's it's um yeah it's focus is not something you do focus is something you are in a sense like you have to become a person who's so immersed in the intention that nothing else can get in its way. And as I'm the same way. Say that again, say that again, but like, say it again. Um, I, I think focus develops. Focus is, is something you are, not something you become. It's something, yeah. Say, say it again. Yeah, it's almost like I don't get focus, I have focus. I like, I have, like, I, it's it inside is, of you. It's part of who I am now. Okay. And uh, beca- but because it's a part of my intention. And so once I know my intention, once I know this is what I have to accomplish, this is what I need to do, I just get in this zone. And then, and then when you're in the zone, there's this flow and nothing in the world can stop me from accomplishing that. And, uh, and what does it feel like mentally though? Like if I'm trying to find that pathway of focus, how is it that I achieve it? Yeah, you know in the movies how that moment where uh, the director uses this mechanism where everything goes silent everything goes silent yes you knew exactly what i what i was going where i was going it's it's the whole room goes silent okay and your mom would used to ask me how could you possibly speak with all the chaos around you and i'm like what chaos 
Yeah. And because, you know, it just became irrelevant to what was happening in that moment, I'm able to pull everybody in yeah. to that same space with me where they're not distracted by everything going on around me too. Wow. And, and it is like this incredible place that you go uh, even when I'm writing a book, when I'm there, it's just I just feel it. The words just start flowing, and the writing just happens, and and nothing else can distract me from what's going on around me. And it's yeah. it's, it's just, it is a beautiful place to go. I do think it's a muscle that you kind of like develop and develop and develop over time. And um and do you, you know, feel like you developed it because you were preaching in really noisy places? Well, I I began preaching on streets, and okay. I began speaking on street corners at the Mardi Gras and at different events and like that, you know? And so, yes, I had to learn. Uh, I, I don't become oblivious to the environment. I absorb the environment and it becomes a part of my message. <laughs> it yeah. becomes a part of what I'm doing. Yeah. And my, and my favorite, wait, sorry, keep yeah. going. No, I say, so it's not that you don't know what's going on, is that you don't become a servant to the environment. The environment becomes a servant to you. I've watched this because you preach in Spanish beautifully. And we were speaking, and now we were speaking. You were speaking. I'm like the I'm like the the trainer. You know, I like I, I ice your forehead and I rub your shoulders. No, no. But you were speaking in Mexico City and you're speaking in Spanish. And I understand enough to understand what you're talking about. I, not every word, and I'm mm -hmm. learning more and more. But something happened. Oh, you you'll forget a word. Mm -hmm. Like you, you you know you're still your vocabulary is always building. But you speak so formally and so beautifully, and you'll just forget a word and you'll say like, what's that one word? <laughs> and you'll say it in English and they'll just like pop it out and they'll say like, and it's, it's actually brilliant to watch because I was sitting in the very far back and there's mm -hmm. this really beautiful outdoor venue called, I think, Angel Peralta. It's cool outdoor in the middle of uh, Polanco. So like all these beautiful sky rises and there's trees yeah. everywhere and it's so cool. And a few thousand people and, and someone just yells out the name. But I was in the back and I'm like, everyone, like every like grandma, every mom is like, yeah, like, like, ustedes, like yelling out, like everyone's yelling out the name of the one word that you've forgotten. Mm -hmm. And you'll be like, okay, tell me what it is. And it gains everyone's attention. Yeah. You genuinely use the thing that would distract everyone and you pull them closer. Yeah, I use my weakness as my strength. So I, 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 I find myself speaking, then there's a word I don't know. And I realized I have you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred coaches in the room. And when I say, what's the word for the, and people just start throwing it out and it brings them into the message. If they become a part of it, they, they're creating it with me as we go along. And it's that, so much fun. <laughs> that really is what it is though, right? And, yeah. I, and I, I wonder like, because you're able to build a message on your own. Like you don't really, you, you made a joke in Spanish and someone translated it for me mm -hmm. on, on the team night, the night before you spoke in the big venue. You said if I had seven more words in my vocabulary, I'd be able to give an hour long talk. <laughs> yes. Which I debated and said, you don't need seven more <laughs> words. You could go an hour at any time. But it, it was a really interesting kind of idea. idea. Yeah. Um, because I, I know that like even, even me, like you don't let the lack of words hold you back. Mm -hmm. Something like that would, would cause such a struggle for me in, in, a, in a moment where you're speaking to other people. And it's because so oftentimes we're more concerned about how people will perceive us, what they'll think of us. Yeah. And, and one of the great challenges. Do you feel it's because you're secure in your intelligence though? Because I would go, they think I'm dumb. And you would go, I'm struggling in my, in my first language. That's my second language now. <laughs> you, no. like, you would just go like, ah, oh, it's fine. No, I, I think that uh, I know when I was younger and I was first communicating, I was so afraid that people would think I was dumb and that I wasn't smart enough. And, and so what ended up happening is a lot of my messages were just really too heady. And, uh, and your mom, you know, early on in our relationship would say, who are you talking to? Yeah. Like you're, you're, you're talking to all these people in the inner city, the average education is third grade. And, you know, you sound like you're, you know, you're talking to a room full of PhDs. And I realized, oh, my messages are about my ego. Yeah. They're not about the people in the room, about helping people. Right. And, and once I was, able, and maybe that's why God put me in an environment with the urban poor for 10 years. This has stripped me of my ego, my, my need for any kind of intellectual affirmation. And, and my focus in life began, how can I explain the most profound and complex ideas in the most simple and ordinary way with language that's common and that anyone can get? And now I consider it a badge of honor if my messages can be understood by everyone and anyone. Yeah. yeah. 
No, it's so beautiful. And I, but I think that's the journey that so many people go on, right? Like you, you become, you, you start completely naked, completely ashamed, completely aware that you know very little. But the people who are able to like overcome that quicker and go, I yeah. know little, but what I, what, but what I do know, I can use. Yeah. You know, like I, I always find it interesting when like you, like photographers or designers, when they really don't do photos well or designers well, but they're immediately getting paid to do those things. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you can just flip that corner really quick, like yeah. I probably made more pieces of clothing than a lot of, than some people. And I'm, I would never call myself a clothing designer, like mm -hmm. ever. I'd be like, that's stupid. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fraud, you know? Like, <laughs> but, but, um, but I, but at the same time, I go, it's not going to stop me from keeping to make yeah. clothes, you know? So how, how do you, but that's a mindset I've gained 33 years, 30 of them, well, 30 of them of consciousness. <laughs> and being coached and like mentored by you how do you shorten that gap where you go i'm i don't know how but i'm gonna try and i'm gonna fail loudly i just think you have to do it just do it but yeah. you know, give me something more than that because you're saying that again and again but like i'm not saying you're saying just jump well, no, and I say, I'm saying, like, tell me how to climb the ladder and tell okay, me how to I'm walk saying, to the, the, the diving board at the top. Yeah, stop, and stop trying to get to the pinnacle on your first step. Like, stop trying to be good enough to speak to 20,000 people. Start talking to your two friends and telling them stories that hold them and captivate them. Stop trying to design clothes for, you know, that uh, parallel Gucci or St. Laurent or Louis Vuitton. Um, start trying to make something for yourself. Right. And or first, or instead of you know um, buying a Christmas present, make a Christmas present. Instead of you know, stop trying to be a published author and you know to write for Random House, whatever. Um, write a short story and and share it with your closest friends and ask them for their input. Yeah. I think a lot of times we just don't know how to start small because we we almost have too grand of a view of ourselves, <laughs> and, uh, and and we just need to start really small and right. and. Um, I mean, I began writing all my early stories. No one ever read, and I. But I wrote a lot of stories early on, and a lot of my early fiction. The only people who ever heard them were my sisters, who I told those stories to every night when they would go to bed. And yeah. and so I developed a lot of my skills in an audience of one or two or three or four. And I think a lot of times our ego doesn't allow us to start small. I think, but I think it's, I mean, I know this because like I was on the marketing and the communication side, on the mm -hmm. marketing side, but the communication side of like, you know, the last eight years of your life. Mm -hmm. And I, we had rules like you don't ever show a room that's empty. <laughs> don't like, like literally social media rules, never show empty chairs. Don't show big aisles. <laughs> Set up the chairs where you can make a photo from an angle that looks like every single square foot of that place is full. But the irony is you didn't learn any of those from me. No, no, but I learned it from, <laughs> from, but I learned it from, from marketing and other mm -hmm. aspects, right? But you, what people don't talk about is that you, you spoke to rooms that were 50 people, 20 people, yep. 100 people for many years. The first 10 years? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I spoke, I, I, I used to joke, I, I started a church and I wasn't the pastor of a house church. I was the pastor of a half a house church. We couldn't even get the person who lived on the other side to come to church. <laughs> and, uh, so I was, you know, a pastor of a half house church in South Dallas and yeah. the most impoverished area of the whole city. And, you know, we packed a little house with 20, 30 people. And that's where I began. And that's where I developed a lot of my skills and honed a lot of uh, the things that now people pay me a lot of money to do. Mm -hmm. And when I traveled in the business sector, you, you know, and, 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 and it's ironic because everybody there was so impoverished that I was trying to help people. Um, develop a mindset for how to start their own businesses and how to build their own lives. And, and so a lot of the business skills I learned were not because I was working at Fortune 500 companies, it was because I was working with people trapped in poverty. I was trying to help them find their way out of poverty. Mm. And, and a lot of times people want to start big, but really the best thing is to find people that are close to you and serve them and help them. And that's how you develop your skills. Yeah, you know, that's and, really beautiful. And for me, that's exciting. That's, that's the best way to go, you, you yeah. know? And the, the first, I, I think people try oh. to scale nothing. Yeah. But then you are so much, and I think the, I think the most successful people in the world scale the thing that they've created value in. Yeah. Create value. Yes. And if it isn't value to the people around you, it's probably not going to be value to anyone. Yeah. And then scale it. But I, I do feel this because I'm always trying to scale nothing. <laughs> I'm trying to go big without, with, with air, smoke. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
But I, I feel like that's the pressure your generation feels. Yeah, you know, because you can, you can, you know, the, the people who are making the most money on, on TikTok are not people who have accomplished anything significant on it with their life. Right. And so you're going, oh, wow, okay. I don't actually have to do anything real or meaningful or significant to create great wealth and have great fame. Yeah. It's a very interesting time in history. It is, isn't it? Yeah. And, but I, I don't know how to speak to that. Like if you want to become a TikTok millionaire and celebrity, I'm the wrong person. Yeah, unsubscribe. Yeah, you know? I'm chill. But don't listen. But if you want to create something that's a, an authentic expression of who you are, and then build it into a sustainable future, then this is the right kind of conversation. It is funny because we 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 don't know how to market me and you. <laughs> we talk about this all the time. Like we are not marketers. Like we're really actually bad at selling ourselves. We're great at branding. We're really good at no, but yes, yes. But we're, we're not good at sales. We're really good at creating something people, if you buy into it, yeah. you actually grow from or learn from or achieve something mm -hmm. or um, have something worthwhile. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's because we really focus on substance. Yes. And I think we're really good at creating substance, creating things that people genuinely need. And then I think we're actually good at branding, creating things that are visually stimulating and compelling. We're terrible at sales. Yeah, but, but you know, continual sales. Yeah, because yeah, I the truth is, great salesmen sell themselves first. Yes, you buy the salesperson, you don't buy the product. Yeah, and I oftentimes, yeah, I've never been that good at selling myself on myself. Yeah, and but I think the difference right now, to be honest with you, is I see the condition the world is in, I see the condition even like the messaging of Christianity is in, and I just feel like it's really important for us to have these conversations across the world. I think the genes of Jesus is really critical and uh, in this time in history. So I'm finding it a little bit easier to sell right now uh, because I really believe yeah. in the value of what we're doing. Yeah. It's really fun because I was talking to a new friend that's actually a Muslim from, from Paris. And, and he was like, okay, so what is your dad's book about? It's the genius of what? Because I told you, I told him about the podcast, The Genius of, which how's the podcast going? I think it's going really, really well. You have, the, have so much the fun. The Genius of podcast. Yeah, I've had Ed Milet and John Gordon and Lewis Howes and Angela Davis and uh, Jamie Lima and um, Joshua Milburn. Oh, yeah, Joshua is the, the newest one from the Minimalists. And um, been so much fun just to talk about the origin story of these incredible people. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, I am. Do you it's think it's fun. something you want to keep doing? I do. I think, you yeah. know, as long as I uh, can get really engaging and fascinating people, I think we'll just keep going. It's exciting. Um, if you haven't checked it out, you can check it out on uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, you could rate and review it as well. I think it's, I, I, I liked, I listened to Joshua's one. It's really cool. If you awesome. don't know the minimalist, like they're amazing people yeah, and a really cool concept that they're behind as well. Like mm -hmm. having less and their, their newest book was called Use Things, Not People. Yeah. No, no. Love people use things. Love people Love use people things. Love people use things. Yeah. And not because the opposite never works. The opposite never works. It's so genius. Yeah. It's so clever. Um, anyways, so I have, a, I have made a new friend um, and he's a Muslim from Paris and very cool, incredible mm -hmm. singer. He sings kind of like Johnny Cash style which in English. I don't oh, wow. understand, cool. but it's so cool. And he was asking about the Genius Of podcast and I was telling him about it. And then he was like, I was like, oh, it's a wraps around his new book. And he goes, what's the new book? I said, The Genius of Jesus. And he kind of hesitated and mm -hmm. laughed a little bit. And not laughing at Jesus, but he was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. I think he knew maybe a little bit more about yeah. our, our, our backstory. And he goes, well, you should talk to my mom. I was like, oh, who's your mom? He's like, oh, she works for the, the UN. And she's like a, a liaison between like Muslim communities and the UN. And I was like, mm -hmm. ah, it's really actually beautiful. because." And I loved it. And I was like, no, well, my, we talk about it because because Muhammad's considered a genius, but Jesus has never talked about the genius in that category. And it was so interesting because I think it immediately, you were always so good at creating an immediate bridge with people. Mm. And even in the book, The Genius of Jesus, which I think to so many of my friends would be like, I don't get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm cool with genius. I don't understand Jesus. Why would I care if I don't believe? Mm -hmm. But the book, it, it kind of transcends that. Because mm -hmm. it invites you into a thing of going like, there's someone you don't understand maybe or don't believe in yet, but you could understand and dive deeper into who he is and his character and and all of like the in intricate narrative of his life, which I think is fascinating. So when it comes to creating substance, I think you're the best at it. Yeah, I feel like um, in some ways, the book moves you out of a formal office where you're trying to have a conversation about Jesus 
yeah. into the kitchen where you're having a really human conversation about Jesus. And that is the thing though, is like is like in everything that we create, like I think did you ever expect mosaic would become what it became? Um I hoped the mosaic would become the epicenter of where the movement of Jesus would go. And now I, I believe that even in my 20s. Yeah. So you always yeah. knew this was coming. I kind of did, yeah. It's crazy. Because I don't even know what I'm doing in like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, but you, you, can, you can hope and believe in something, but you don't know how it's going to play out. So cool. Yeah. Well, what I was going to relate to this is that everything that we do, whether it's mosaic, even as big as mosaic is, mosaic, the thing that I think makes mosaic mosaic is the community mm -hmm. and the curation of the community. Like you genuinely created a place, you, cre you curated a place where people who are different come together. Mm -hmm. Like most churches, it's like-mindedness yeah. that connects them. Yeah. And at mosaic, if anything, it's a really hard thing because it's, it's actually not where you find always the people that agree with you. Right. It's not about sameness here. No, it, it is about yeah. uniqueness and, yeah. and uh, diversity. And yeah. not just in color of your skin, but in the, 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 your, the way you think. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I think a lot of times when people move from other parts of the country and come to Mosaic uh, as Christians, it's, it, they can't explain why they feel uncomfortable. It's because it feels like an away game. And it does. Rather, rather than a home game. Because when you go to church normally, it's a home game. Everybody's cheering on Jesus yes. and everybody's on the same page. No, you come to church here, it's a street fight. <laughs> You're going, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm, this is not, a, this is not like, a home game. Half this crowd wants to kill me and the other, <laughs> half, and the other half has my back. <laughs> at, at best, it's a neutral field. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so, and I think it creates a sense of, um, uh, of disorientation for people uh, when they come here going, wait a minute, isn't the church supposed to be for Christians? Yeah. And, and I remember one time someone I really loved came to Mosaic and the first thing they said to when they walked on the platform said, if you love Jesus, will you just give a shout and clap? And there's probably a, a lot of confusion in that room going, I'm not was, sure yet. And I realized, oh, wow, they didn't realize in their first statement, they alienated, you know, half the room. Yeah. And because people are here trying to understand and make sense of life and trying to figure out what they even think about God or yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And, and I realized, oh, it's because, you know, this person is so gifted but they come from a place where everyone's on the home team yeah yeah and they just didn't understand this in some ways this is almost an away game yeah yeah it's really interesting okay with that we've talked about a lot of really interesting things it's good i'm excited i'm glad to have you here i'm glad to be back in la i love mexico but i love los angeles well i, I mean i'm just i'm glad to you're be like back. i don't know if i believe you <laughs> Yeah, I know. I love Mexico City. I think the food's amazing. The people are amazing. Oh. It's always good to be back home in LA. I'm excited yes. about some of the new restaurants that are opening up yes. and the experiences that are happening. And yeah. and uh, and you know, in the future, just call me Scarface and I'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> I said you went from Mustafa to Scarface. Oh, from to Scar. No, no. What's his? What's his name the... is Scar. Scar. Yeah. Trust me. Talk. Someone use my. I'm a Lion King expert. Yeah, Scar is right, but Mufasa is the character you're thinking of. So he went no, from he Mustafa. Said I went from Mufasa. M Mustafa? No, Mufasa. Start this over and do your jobs in the booth. Use the mic. Mufasa is Simba's father and Scar's older brother. I thought his name was Scarface. No. No. Yeah, that's uh, Al Pacino. Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. That's not you. You're no. Scar. Mufasa. <laughs> Woo! Mufasa. Mufasa. Okay. I don't want to be Scar. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you got a Scar. Yeah, but more more than one. Well, I'm glad you're safe. And I'm glad uh, the medical community in Mexico City took care of you. And we're back. And you seem happy. I am. I am. I'm excited about the future. Wait, hold on. Let's not talk about the future yet. It's been one week since your book has come out. Genius of Jesus released last a week ago Tuesday. So it'll be about 10 days or so, 11 days here on Friday. Um, I'm just, thank you to everyone who picked up a book. Thank you to everyone who's been sending me DMs and photographs of the book and, and putting their stories out there. Just really, really grateful. And I've already had people saying, I read the book in one day. I know. It's I couldn't really stop cool. reading. It's really cool. And it, it, it's pretty exciting because I wanted the book to be a, a page turner. Yeah. And I, I, I love when, you know, there's a series that I get on Netflix and I binge the whole way because I can't 
stop Can't watching stop. it. I want the book to be that kind of experience for people. It's amazing. So I'm really, really jazzed. Thank you to everyone who went to Amazon and gave me a five-star review. Yes. It actually is really helpful. If you haven't done it, go and do it. And uh, just uh, and everyone who's listening, if you've read the book and has really impacted you, spread the word, spread the word, spread the word. And this, I was going to say this. I wanted to conclude this with this podcast because I really, I feel the love from the bat already like community. This is like our best little tribe. It's incredible. It's the yeah. It's the because it's like because obviously mosaics are home and, and there's just the best people. But bat already is like this international, it's like the Olympics of of like our world. Like yeah. it's just so many people around the world that really do rally together and debate and have conversation. And people like are DMing me 24 seven. And I just like, I'm so grateful for the community yeah. that is here for the launch. Like you are the launch team. Like you are the launch team for this book, the launch team for this podcast. Like I don't, we don't market it. We don't pay from, I wish we could. We should figure that out. I don't know. We're going <laughs> to drop some merch. You were dropping some merch oh, for you. We're going to drop. And it comes out today. Remember, we're going to drop some Genius of Jesus merch. It's so sick. It's really beautiful. It's really fun. And you can only order it. You can only purchase it if you show us a receipt of having bought the book. Yes. So you will get, this stuff will sell out. This stuff will straight up sell out. Yeah, right, absolutely. Tess? Use your voice. Yes. Okay. This stuff will sell out, but say it like it's going to sell out. It will sell out. So, so look, here's the deal. If you pre-order the book or bought the book, we are going to send an email to everybody that signed up for the book club. So that's, if you're the part of the book club, you're getting an email with a, with a pre-order code. You have about 400 people. Yep. Yeah. And if you haven't yet, you should sign up for the book club. If you've bought a book, but you have to buy a book. So, you so gotta, they're going to get a link to the merch. A link to the merch. So you got to sign up for Before that book club. Before it goes club. public. Yes. So if you're listening to the Bad Ready Podcast, you got to sign up for that book club link and you're going to get a link to the merch. That's awesome. That makes it easy, right, Tess? Are you proud of me? Yes. Okay. Thumb, two thumbs up. Oh, we got four in the booth. Uh, it's awesome. All Merch right. comes out today. So if you're listening to this, it exists. It's out. You might have to wait a couple of weeks because we're getting it all in, but it's out. You'll be able to buy it today. It's going to be sweet. All right. Let's do the formalities. All right. There you go. Hey, it's good doing this. It's so fun doing this, right? Yep. I feel happy. And I'm also like, what you cannot see, can they see the, the clothing rack, Austin? What you cannot see is this, these vintage Indian quilt coats that we're going to release a little bit from McManus Gallery and mm -hmm. they're absolutely stunning and insane. So we have a lot of cool things going on in life. We do. But that, you're going to have to wait to uh, Christmas season for yeah. that. Okay. Thank you for every person who's listening to this podcast. Every person who supports the podcast on Anchor. Thank you for everyone who has rated and reviewed this podcast. If you haven't, go to Apple Podcast and go to YouTube. Like this video. Comment. Let us know. Subscribe to the YouTube. Go to Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Uh, comment, rate, and review it. Give us five stars. We have like 800. So I want to see it jump this week. I want to see it jump. <laughs> Go and jump. Make it jump. All right. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. The new episode of Bad Ready Podcast. Love you, bud. All right. Love you, Dad. <laughs>